When we think about how we adapt or what's most critical to adapt, it goes back a little bit to this idea of letting go of perfectionism and really being okay with risk, leaning into change. And I think that's where we have to practice trying new things. I mean, it can be little things too, in terms of just pushing your limits and and stepping out of your comfort zone on occasion. In learning to take risks, we have to learn to be okay with failure that comes with risk. And then figuring out what the tool set you need is to support those moments. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. What I know to be true is that each of us have our own unique strengths and inherent talents. And as women, each of us have had to navigate school and life to figure out what those strengths and talents are. I know for me, growing up, it wasn't until I was in college that I really honed my self-confidence, my collaborative nature, resilience, adaptability, problem solving, and most importantly, self-worth. Before college, those skills and talents hadn't really been taught or fostered in me in such a way that enhanced those strengths. Now, I'm not going to lie, a lot of this had to do with the fact that I attended an all-women's college focused on fostering my best strengths so that I could show up in the world and shine after school. And let me tell you, it came in really handy because my first job was working in an all-male environment at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. And yes, I was a science nerd right out the gate, working as a bioengineer, navigating with an all-male team. And I was so grateful to have these skills so that I feel like I could stand on my own when I was working with my male superiors. Now, given my own personal experience, I recognize the need to equip our girls at an earlier age to recognize and foster those skills so that they too can lead with passion and purpose. Luckily, I am not the only one who believes in setting girls up for success early creates motivated, passionate, and joyful women in this ever-changing world where skills like problem-solving, adaptability, and confidence are key assets. Now, my guest today, Dr. Marissa Porges, has dedicated many years of her life helping girls to harness their voices, boost their self-esteem so that they can go out into the world prepared to create success that they imagine for themselves. And today... She is releasing her new book, What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women. Combining compelling research, personal stories, and practical advice, Dr. Porges dives into incredible strategies and tools to set our girls up for success. Her book shows how parents and educators can foster these critical 21st century skills in our girls to help them recognize and nurture their inherent strengths something that I believe that all women deserve. Now, before I bring on Dr. Marissa Porges to share her wisdom with each of us, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Marissa Porges is the head of the Baldwin School and the author of What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women. She is known for her work in leadership, education, and national security. She is currently the eighth headmaster of the Baldwin School outside of Philadelphia, renowned for its academic excellence and preparing girls to be leaders and change makers. Let's welcome Dr. Marissa to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Marissa Porges. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, thank you for coming on. I am so excited for the topic that we are exploring today, which is to help women tap into their innate skills that will give them their competitive advantage at work and really help them in to help them to lead in all areas, not only in work, but in life, in leadership. And I know that there are so many women here on this show who listen in who are at the helm in their careers, at the helm of their companies, at the helm of leading massive projects. And I'm really excited that we're going to get to dive in to how we can better lead and show up in the world. Thank you for having me, Marita. It is um, such an important topic, particularly right now when there's so many things coming at us personally and professionally. And so it's a really important time to have these conversations. Absolutely. Dr. Marissa Porges, I would love to ask, what was that defining moment for you when you knew you wanted to do this work? It's interesting because it, it came a little later than I would have expected in some ways, and it came in an out-of-the-blue moment. I think we have those moments when we suddenly realize that everything we've been working on comes together in an interesting way, and it was actually during conversations I had with students at my school. Um, so my my you know, career to date had been in national security. I flew for the military. I served in the government doing counterterrorism. And then I got pulled into this amazing job running a girls' school. And I started teaching a seminar on leadership to our seniors just before they went off to graduate and head to college in the world. And we were having conversations about how they envisioned their future and the challenges that they saw coming as young women entering the world and all the things they wanted to do. But roadblocks, either personally or professionally, how they saw themselves and and how they would get around them. And and, um, I started telling stories from my own experience. And between that and research I started doing about leadership and what we as women in particular, how we may lead differently naturally and how we can lean into that um, to our own advantage. And suddenly, you know, things started falling into place like puzzle pieces. And before you knew it, the conversations I was having with my students on leadership turned into what is now a book, but also sort of more conversations aimed at adults too, in terms of how we need to think of our own um, leadership and life lessons in other places. I love it. Well, I went to a all-woman's college, and I feel like a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about today were definitely coming up when I was in college as well. Because, I mean, the hop from high school to college, I mean, it's still a little hop, but I still feel like women are, we're still figuring things out in our, you know, 18, 19, and 20. So I'm really excited to talk about that. In this new book that you have, What Girls Need and How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women, I know that one of the things that you tap into or help women tap to in, tap into is their unique innate skills. And could you talk to me a little bit about what are some of the innate skills that are giving women a competitive advantage, not only in the workforce, but also just in, you know, in running businesses, in entrepreneurship. You know, I know women are wearing many hats today. For me, I'm the CEO of a company. I'm actually the CEO of two companies. So it still feels like whether you're going into entrepreneurship or you're heading into a career into corporate, those skills may be similar. Very much so. And it's funny because I think we often think about the skills you need to lead or run a business or, you know, in whatever spot you're in your career. And we think um, that we as women may have a disadvantage, particularly in male dominated industries or in entrepreneurship where there are fewer women, um, statistically speaking. But there are some innate skills that research shows women co- that come naturally to women that particularly now and in the years ahead as leadership models change, um, that will be our advantages. Things like how we communicate. Women communicate differently in terms of how we interact with peers and colleagues, but also subordinates or those um, or public, you know, in a public fora. 
And that's to our advantage if we see it as an advantage. If we think about our personal ways of communicating and connecting with people, it can be an advantage in when we negotiate or when we inspire people or when we build buy-in for whatever, you know, if it's a product you're selling as a CEO or an idea you're trying to um, have people support. It's also how we empathize and connect with people. Empathy is one of uh, the least often talked about skills of leadership, but so incredibly important. And again, research shows that even in the corporate world, leading corporate at the C-suite, empathy is something that we don't talk about, but we need. And it has advantages when you negotiate, it has advantages in the workplace, it has advantages you know, to your financial bottom line in terms of how you're perceived and how you're able to make a difference um, in and out of your business and in the home, of course, too. And these skills that come with empathy, being able to see another's perspective, stepping into somebody else's shoes, and then making decisions that serve them best. Yes, again, it seems like, oh, it's a golden rule from kindergarten, and and how does that apply to leadership? No, it's actually incredibly important in business in terms of trying to make sure you're you're serving your customers, trying to make sure your product is going to appeal to a mass market, if you're thinking of it in, in those terms. And those are things that if we women leverage and really own as our competitive advantage, some difference that we can make, we are going to be a step ahead of the curve when it comes to whether it's uh, in the workplace or um, in other forum. I just think we really need to own it and talk about it more. I love that. I think you're absolutely right. When it comes to leadership, I think empathy is such a big cornerstone of that. Empathy and vulnerability as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Women, in terms of communication, in terms of of really having people felt heard, having people feel like they're they're being acknowledged, I think it's something that women do very well. Definitely, and and it plays dividends um, in how productive you are. How particularly in an era where now we're having to connect remotely or connect around the world in different ways or find new ways to work and to function in teams, the ability to really communicate effectively is again, something that um, whether you're you're talking in in different, in any workplace, you're going to really want that skill. And studies continue to show that even from an early age, you know, there's a gender difference in terms of how we communicate with others and what that means to our ability to then work in teams as well. Something else that, again, um, women can use as their advantage. Mm, I love that. One of the other areas I know that you speak into is, you know, some of the cornerstones of leading through crisis. And I would have to say that these last couple of months has felt more like a crisis than not, especially for businesses, especially for organizations, especially for people having to kind of step up and lead in a different way. I remember when all of this began to happen in early March sitting together with the COO of my company and you know and figuring out how we were going to lead differently or what we were going to do and say because we knew that leadership mattered so much in that moment because I knew people were just scared. So can you talk to me a little bit about the cornerstones of leading through crisis and maybe what have have you seen any of that play out in these last several months during the pandemic? Leading in a crisis is a skill that is very hard to practice of course and yet over time it is so pivotal, whether or not it's a pandemic now that we're all facing, but even in the daily crises that we all face in our personal lives too, right? And professionally and how you react in those moments and what you do next um, matters such a, you know, matters personally in terms of emotionally, how we take care of ourselves and feel, but then of course, organizationally, how your company may, may uh, function and how your people feel, how those around you, the people working for you or with you. There's three cornerstones I think of, or three ideas. The first is your mission. 
And it can be um, the mission statement of your company or your organization, um, or it can be just sort of a personal mission statement, what you think is the essence of what is most important, most essential, because that's the thing you really need to drill down on. The second thing, and I'll talk a little bit of what it looks like for me personally right now, but the second thing um, I always think about in a crisis is your people, the people around you. At the end of the day, the people are going to be the most important thing personally and professionally to make sure not you just don't get through a crisis, but that at the other end, you can really regain any, you know, all the strengths you have and then build from there. And then the third thing, and this is an, it's sort of a little different one, but it's prioritization. So how you prioritize really what you do to make sure you're supporting those mich- that mission and those people in the best way possible. And I'll speak to that right now um, in the sense of my school, right? And, and so I'm, I'm running a school now, uh, leading an all-girls school, just like it sounds like you went to an all-girls college. I, I, um, I lead an all-girls school for kids pre-K through 12. And when the pandemic hit, of course, like anyone who knows has friends or family and um, children in schools, we went remote, school shut down. Um, and leading in that time meant really figuring out what is the essence of what we do, right? It was about, you know, making sure the academic program continued and our girls still were able to progress through the school year and get the academic support and learning that they needed. But then for us as a girls school in particular, it's about community. It's about supporting women and women know that connections matter a lot emotionally and mentally. And that's true as adults. It's also true for children. I mean, we had to drill down on that to make sure we supported those two core functions amongst anything else um, for the period that we were remote during this crisis. Then you think about the people, you know, whatever it's, it's in your family, it's your, the people closest to you in a company, it might be the people working for you. Um, in our schools, the teachers, right? How you support them in the moment. And then the families that are part of your community, we found little ways to do it. I started sending postcards home um, from our school mascot to connect with, you know, make sure that the connections in the community felt lived and heard. We found other ways that we would um, connect via Zoom or remotely to make sure that we could um, celebrate each other and still um, support the people part of whatever the organization is. And again, you know, that looks different for each person, um, but for women in particular, given how many of us, I think, uh, rely on people in our lives to let level set, um, in a crisis, you can't forget that or else you will not support the mission, right? They go hand in hand. And then last but not least, getting down to the essence of, you know, how you prioritize what you're doing. This is where letting go of perfection and really saying the little things matter, but at the end of the day, we just need to make sure we can do a few things and move the essence forward and let go a bit. And I think that's hard, particularly for women. I know for myself, I'll say, you know, as a perfectionist, I can, uh, I always want to push things as far as they'll go, but particularly in a crisis, you have to let go of that and realize, no, it's, that's not going to make the biggest difference right now. And so about prioritization, I think, and being really honest with ourselves about what that looks like, both personally and professionally is key. Hmm. Do you address perfectionism at all inside of the book? I, you know, I know so, so often we can get so caught up in it and it can definitely, you know, like you said, hinder our ability to really progress forward. Or it's just something that you know personally. Oh my gosh, my goodness! It's um, I think my my career has been defined by those moments um, where I took risks, where I failed, and then rebounded and kept going, right? And let go of perfectionism. And those were the times when um, the next step was even that much more rewarding. And I think that's something we really, as women and and as a leader now of a school where we have young women growing up and we're trying to teach them resilience and risk taking. 
it's incredibly important. I talk about it in terms of adaptability, actually. And I know that's something on, um, on our agenda to discuss as well today. And one of the ways that you build adaptability, the ability to withstand and, and lean into change is being able to um, step away from perfectionism and realize that leaning into change, leaning into moments of crisis means being able to let go and admit things don't have to be perfect. Sometimes good enough is, is, is perfect too in those moments is a weird way to think about it. But yeah, so it's a part of the adaptability um, skills that I talk about in the book. And talk to me a little bit about adaptability, specifically, you know, not only as an important skill set, but as something that, you know, I think a lot of us are navigating right now more than anything. Yeah, it's it's an amazing thing to think how we've all had to push our uh, skill set for adaptability further than ever right now. I mean, mm-hmm. who would have thought we're in we're literally in the midst of a, pan, a global pandemic and we're having to rethink how we work, what personal life looks like, you know, for those uh, who are, you know, have children at home, how we parent, for those whose kids are now pulled from school, how we teach, even as we're also working and parenting and, and all the rest. And the interesting thing is we often talk about adaptability in terms of um, resilience or in, in response to change difficulty. But adaptability is something that we need on a daily basis, even if it isn't a pandemic, right? We need to adapt to changes in the workplace that can be good changes, a new boss, a new job, a new form of technology. And adaptation is a skill set that is more and more important every year, um, not least because jobs and work are changing so much, right? The workforce of the future is not going to look like the workforce now, whether because of the gig economy or entrepreneurship or just a new technology that's going to drive change. One interesting statistic is the studies show that 65% of jobs that will exist when our youngest children are adults do not exist right now, and that they're going to have to learn and relearn in order to succeed and, and thrive in that workforce. So when we think about how we adapt or what's most critical to adapt, it goes back a little bit to this idea of letting go of perfectionism and really being okay with risk, leaning into change. And I think that's where we have to practice trying new things. I mean, it can be little things too, in terms of just pushing your limits and and stepping out of your comfort zone on occasion. In learning to take risks, we have to learn to be okay with failure that comes with risk. And then figuring out what the tool set you need is to support those moments. For some folks, it's being able to talk it out with friends. For some folks, it's about reading up on what you're doing so you feel the most prepared and knowledgeable. For some folks, it's listening to podcasts or wet or webinars and really diving into what you're going so that no matter what the outcome is, you feel as prepared as possible um, when you're when you're entering something new. And then it's about the emotional side too, figuring out how to self-care through those ad- moments of adaptation so that again, it's about the process and then making sure in the outcome you're ready for whatever comes, but it's a very interesting conversation. The social scientist science behind it is actually in early stages still because there's a new there's new research now that talks about how the adaptability quotient will be the thing that makes the most difference as professionals mm. in the next couple decades. We always talk about IQ, right? And then most recently EQ, emotional quotient, your ability to understand and, and respond to emotions. But they say in the future that adaptability, the adaptability quotient, your skill set for adapting may be most important. So it's something that I think more and more we have to really think for ourselves what tools we personally need to to withstand and lean into change. I, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think particularly in entrepreneurship, um, at least this has been my personal experience, is that I'm always skilling up in a lot of different areas all the time. And at any given moment, we are having to pivot 
and we're having to constantly problem solve and adapt to whatever is changing. I always think about being very fluid, like there's a level of fluidity in what we do, at least what I do. And I I love that because I totally understand. I've had this conversation with a lot of different friends and entrepreneurs, especially when the pandemic began in March and just what things were gonna look like. You know, I had friends of mine whose businesses were driven specifically by public speaking or by events, you know, and what does that look like now when your entire business model can't, you can't do that anymore. Um, And how do you adapt and how do you change with the climate that's now here? I do agree. I think adaptability and the ability to pivot and problem solve, you know, just having that ability to do so is are going to be some of the biggest skill sets moving forward. Is this something that you focus on at the school as well? It is. I mean, I think in and in, um, in two ways. And I'll talk to the problem solving in a second, but mm-hmm. when you know, when when you talk about talking with friends about how we adapt in these moments, I think those are the times when again, we as women, when we lean into our ability to communicate and partner with each other. And then, you know, it's really interesting to, if we all think about, well, what, what worked when we had to adapt? Mm-hmm. Um, was it again for you when you, did you use another person's model, take ideas, or was it something that you needed private time to sit alone and just think and write and envision what this new business model looks like when you're doing public speaking remotely? Um, for me, it was a lot of testing and failing. We did a lot of uh, test webinars and test moments where we tried this exact public speaking, these moments we're having right now, Maritza, and, uh, and figure out what it looks like. And that's part of, again, now it speaks to the problem solving. Um, we do a lot of that at the school, and I do a lot of that in terms of how we talk with colleagues and friends and, and other women when I'm speaking about problem solving. It, it looks very different now, problem solving, than it did 10 or 20 years ago. I think problem solving these days is much more of a collaborative endeavor. The problems we're facing as individuals, but also a society, are much more wide-scale and multi-level. A pandemic, climate change, adapting to remote work, adapting to new ways that our kids are being taught at home. Um, these things are multi-levered and they can't just, they don't require just one person to solve. We really need to work on solving them together or the solution won't, it won't stand. Um, and so we think about problem solving through collaboration more than anything. And then again, it speaks to one of the core things women are really naturally adapted for and good at. So I do think that whenever we talk about problem solving, we have to talk about collaborative problem solving as sort of part and parcel of that to really figure out how to do it best. Hmm, I absolutely agree. We have lots of little masterminds that we're a part of, and we have a a crew of people that we call the Wolf Pack. (laughs) And um, we're all entrepreneurs. It's it's actually almost all women. There's a couple men in there as well. And we're dear, dear, dear friends. And we have different businesses in different areas, but they're all entrepreneurial online businesses for the most part, but different fields. And it's so fascinating. We we talk and connect and mastermind almost weekly um, about, you know, what kind of changes and what kind of adaptability, what is it looking like? How do we navigate this? You know, who has experience in this area versus this area? So it always does feel extremely collaborative, no matter what the problem is that we're trying to solve. And then even within my own internal team, we I almost run an entire all-women's organization um, or company I cannot tell you how many calls and meetings we have a week <laughs> collaborating on the problem solving and how we're adapting to the new thing. So mm-hmm. I absolutely, I relate, I relate to that so much because that's literally, if that's my life in a nutshell. When we think about it in those ways, I think we prioritize it because part of it is building time in for it and being really conscious of using moments together to talk about and deal with each other's problems in in a group-minded way. I mean, so staff meetings I have or moments um, I have with my team, you know, we actually build time in on a regular basis for groupthink. You know, we'll have time where 
somebody has to put a problem out or a challenge or whatever's on their mind. And we'll literally put a white paper on the wall. Now we do, you know, the share function on the Zoom where, and then we just group brainstorm. And the idea isn't necessarily to come up with the perfect answer going back to that earlier thing. Um, it's just about ideas um, and how we can then think about ideas, even if it's not your area of expertise. I think, you know, just like it sounds like with your Wolfpack, um, having different perspectives on something is where really interesting creative solutions come in, particularly in a time where we're all having to think so outside the box about how we do not just our work, but our, you know, live our daily lives. Mm-hmm. That's an important thing to remember on a daily basis, building time for it, practicing it and building tools that work for you, whether it's during meetings or how you think about talking, uh, talking about your own problems with friends. Um, and of course, I mean, I think about um, what we're teaching our girls and how they need to think of their futures. I mean, these are the only ways the massive problems of society will get faced and really will have change happen at, at a massive scale that will make the future better. So that's sort of the core mission of our school too. And it, and it speaks to that. I love it. Just curious, you know, f- um, for a little while, I was a one, one woman show and it was, it was definitely, you know, me just trying to figure things out. Do you ever find particularly with cultivating collaborative problem solving, that that's important, really the collaboration part. I know you've identified the importance, but do you ever see women kind of fall into a state where they're, it's like, I, I've got to figure this out by myself. Like I, I, it's, it's only me. I got to do this. This is, if I don't do it right, then no one, like I've, no one's going to do it the way I do it. I'm curious if that ever comes up or you just feel like as a whole, we're all just moving towards we're re- recognizing that we we create far more success, or so we're able to really pivot better when with when it's more of a collaborative. Uh, I, it's a very interesting question because I know personally for me that's sometimes a, a, an easy default to find, and I yes. think um, <laughs> most of us can admit to that in our uh, uh, whether or not we want to, we should. It's an interesting generational change. I, I actually see it a lot in our girls that because we model collaboration and we talk about it differently. And because, you know, it's part of the a more um, open dialogue, I think, outside of schools as well, in terms of even this idea of now more open office spaces, even that's, you know, going back and forth in terms of how people work. But there's ideas of teamwork, collaboration is such an important part of how we talk about what we do. Um, so I think there's a generational shift. Um, and I do see that our girls um, really lean into working together um, to solve what's on their minds rather than taking on to themselves. So I think that's helpful. Um, and hopefully the future generations will not have uh, quite the same hangups we may. And I think this is where really being honest with ourselves and catching ourselves mm-hmm. um, in those moments. Sometimes I talk to my team and, and we figure out what we need on a little post-it note. And if you look on my laptop, I'll have a post-it note in the corner of like one or two things that I want to remind myself. And one of them is turn to others, right? And so it's just like those three words that if I find myself... T- spending too long on something that I'm like, ah, and then I'll stop, I'll look at the post-it note and think, wait a minute, like, is this something I need to, need to or should even um, solve on my own? Um, and then, you know, this is where even now that we're remote, I think it's harder because we don't see people in the halls, but even just shooting someone a text or an email or using an online chat function to say, hey, you know, have you ever thought about X? Um, and I think we'll surpri- be surprised how often the person on the other end is like, yeah, that I, I was wondering too, you know, what we we're going to do about that big event and then you can talk about it together. I do think particularly now that we're more you know, socially isolated and don't have as many moments to naturally chit chat about these things on our minds, we have to more actively think about how and when we informally collaborate, but it is not 
is something that doesn't always come naturally to me either, I think. Mm, I was just curious. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing with me where you were at. I definitely, you know, that little post-it note would be helpful. I feel like I collaborate really, really well most of the time, but sometimes I think there's things I just think, well, I'm just supposed to figure out myself. And, and it's just a mindset shift that I need to make over time. It, I'm getting better every, every day. You know, like I said, I'm in meetings all the time, but it's always just something that I think for a while I was so, it was so just my show. And I forget sometimes that I have a lot of people I can rely on. Talk to me a little bit about what are some of the conversational habits that are holding women back at work, maybe in schoolwork, in corporate work, maybe even in entrepreneurial work. Well, and this will go right back to this idea of forcing ourselves to collaborate, but also forcing ourselves or demanding of ourselves that we ask others for help. It's interesting. I think one of the things, there's a couple of things I talk about in the book. One is learning to own your voice um, and really mm-hmm. how we practice speaking up and speaking out. And it sounds silly in some ways. We say like, oh, own your voice. I mean, that's either a cliche or something that like, of course, you know, when you're a CEO, it should come easy to you. But then I think, you know, I find myself sometimes I'll be sitting in a room and the only woman there or the only woman of a certain age or a certain background or um, who looks a certain way. And then you you suddenly Your voice realize, disappears. <laughs> yes. Right? It happens. Yeah. Oh, it I, absolutely I, happens. Embarrassed to admit it, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. the book focuses on how we teach young women, um, in particular girls, to overcome that naturally and build their muscles for speaking up so that when they're you know, an adult, it comes naturally. But I think even as adult women, we have to continually remind ourselves. And sometimes it's easy as a trick. I literally, if I'm in a, a room and I realize that I'm um, one of, if not the only women, or um, you know, that I'm in somehow, eh, you know, either by perception or actuality, feel um, like it'll be harder for me to speak out. I sometimes make a game of it. I will literally say, all right, I'm going to, you know, in the next half hour, I'm going to say, you know, raise two questions, two comments, or say things twice, right? Like just to give myself a goal to be like, all right, let's, let's see how it goes. And maybe it's the competitive spirit in me, but I, I often find that then it helps warm me up and stretch that muscle. Um, but it's also a reminder that one of the odd things we say, a conversational habit that holds women back is not conversing, is literally not speaking up and using our voice. The second one I, that I, research proves as well um, is true, and it speaks to this idea of turning to others, is asking for help, asking for what we need, and really being clear about what we need personally or professionally. Right. This is something that it plays out in how women negotiate. Women negotiate by and large less than men. Um, statistically, 51% of women negotiate and ask for more money. And when they're offered a job, 12% of women. Like it's it's just we are not used to asking for what we deserve and what we need. It plays out in the home front too. I think how many of us take on on the burdens and say, okay, I'm gonna buy the present for the nephew and I'm gonna walk the dog or find the new dog walker and I'm gonna do my work and all the other things that need to be done. When in actuality, we need to just occasionally look to that post-it note that says "turn to others." And the next one will say, "Ask for what you need." And you don't always get it, but in practicing the ask, I think we get further. And we build both the muscle memory that comes with asking, and then we find it, the path is a little easier. My mama used to always say to me, you don't get what you don't ask for. Yeah, it's exactly right. And your mom was smart, right? She gave you the the tools you needed. Um, I think it's also about building structures for these things. I think back to when you're talking about, you know, um, your meetings that you have with your team and how we build in mechanisms, systems to make sure we're asking for help or asking for each other. You think, you know, 
leaving time at the end of a call with a friend or a meeting you're having with your team or time at the end of dinner, right? Like some regular moment where you pause and the question always is, what do we need? What do you need? What do I need? Right. And you ask and, you know, maybe half the time it's nothing, but then it will prompt you to say, actually, now I need something. Um, and I think, you know, it, it helps in uh, with your partner at home and your marriage to sort of regularly do that, but at work as well, right. To always have at the end of a meeting, I think, you know, we go around the table, what does everyone need? Just everyone likes, and it, you, you can answer nothing, but it's a moment where you pause and think, what do I need right now? And maybe I, if I ask, I'll get it. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. Yeah. We do that a lot in the relationship. We have other ways to ask, you know, asking, we don't ever take a pause and say, what do you need? We are usually asking throughout, like, are there resources that you need? Is there any, is there, you know, things that you need to move forward? But that would be nice to have our own little moment where everyone just gets a chance to just, if there's something that they need that we can all hear them out. I like that. But even that practice of making that one of the questions you ask your team, right? Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, exactly. Constant (laughs) reminder that like, okay, what do you need? How do we help you? How do we coordinate? How do we support each other? And I think it just puts it front and center in people's minds that that's part of what we need to be doing on a regular basis. So, yeah. Mm, I love that. I love that idea. One of the things we do on our calls though, is we, we celebrate wins. You know, we just love to hear how people are doing or what's going on in their life. So we have, we have a lot of personal questions that we ask in meetings just to check in with people and to celebrate what they've got going on. Um, but I would love, to, I'm going to definitely add that to our repertoire of questions to ask. Yeah. Well, and the wins thing is another great, but it speaks to the earlier um, conversation we were talking about connecting, Mm -hmm. right? How you communicate and how you empathize about getting to know somebody personally. Um, They've done studies that say, if you start a meeting with those personal moments, even for those of us who are really hard charging and want to get, you know, want to get right to it. If you start with a personal moment, our opening of our conversation was sharing some personal information, right? Getting to know each other a little bit. um, You actually work better and get to your goals more effectively and quickly when you have that. So sharing team wins and in our school, when I have big meetings with our teachers or the girls too, we do shout outs and it's someone share a highlight and then, you know, thank or celebrate somebody else who helped them with that highlight. Um, and so they get to shout out their colleagues or their friends and say, Oh, you know, the great game. And we, you know, won or did really well. And, you know, and so-and-so had, had a big win or, you know, they solved the problem in class and it was a, a moment for everyone. Um, but it just lets you share in the, those times. And again, then it makes you more effective too. Mm, I love that. Now for this book, which I'm so excited is, is coming out literally right now. I know you said it's for, for young women and what would be the, the particular age group? Would it be girls in high school? Would it be girls in, or it would even be girl, women in, in college? It's actually geared at preteen. Okay. Um, preteen. Younger. Well, so, but this is the lessons are applicable to all ages. It's research-based and data-driven, but then it has stories from my time I flew jets for the Navy off of carriers and I served in uh, Afghanistan and I did research in the Middle East on terrorism. And I, um, so it's full of stories because that's the fun stuff. And then it's full of interviews and lessons from the girls that I'm, I'm with every day at school. So it's seeing the world through their eyes and then realizing, well, what lessons and research can we apply to help them? And it starts young. I mean, part of the argument of the book is we need to start when children, when girls in particular are in elementary school, preteen, 10 years old, teaching them to speak up, speak out, collaborate, empathize, communicate differently, adapt, take risk. Um, and these are the lessons they need when they're young, because if they practice them then, when they're older, it'll come naturally. And so then the challenges that many of us as adults see in the workplace 
won't be quite as significant. That being said, the lessons are applicable for all ages. I mean, I think right now what we're talking about, I um, they're lessons that I still use in terms of trying to make myself adapt better, collaborate, problem solve better, and even ask for what I need better. So they're, you know, life lessons I think we can all use. So I absolutely agree. Well, I mean, I, I think generationally as well. I mean, I know that things are shifting so much and, you know, as, as, as women are stepping into more leadership roles and we're, we're running companies and we're just, we're just stepping into ownership far more. I just love that a book like this is out there because the soonest we can get girls to start doing this naturally, it just becomes second nature. It's who you are. It's, you know, built into your, into your personality and your DNA as you enter college and beyond. But I also feel like not all of these things were taught. I always tell people that I stand on the shoulders of my mom and my grandmother that, you know, this, my generation, I feel like is one of the first generations where women really felt the autonomy to create whatever they wanted. I know that my mom definitely didn't feel that way when she was growing up. And it's changed and shifted so much. And so I know, I feel like this book, you know, a lot of us can learn so much from it. But definitely if we, you know, bringing up our girls in this new world, definitely such a help. The last thing I wanted to ask is where can we plug more into Dr. Marissa Porges? Oh, well, I think the first place um, to start would be the, the book is out this week. And so please head to Amazon, What Girls Need. It's out there, so it's the best place to find all these big ideas and new thoughts. More will be coming after that, but it's where we start this important conversation. And I do agree that it's about um, so much of it is about women helping women, whether it's your mom or the all girls school you went to, and how we sort of help each other position the next generation. And then what lessons we teach each other now, right, to make sure we're positioned, particularly in this time of major change, right, mm-hmm. and major challenges for everyone personally and professionally. So. I look forward to continuing that conversation with with everyone through the book and moving forward. Thank you so much, not only for sharing your brilliance here on the show today, but also for writing this book, for opening the door, for being inspired by your girls at your beautiful school, and for helping to, to move us forward in such an incredible and positive way. Well, thank you for having me, Maritza. It is um, a pleasure to have this conversation and really shine a light on what we need to do to move young women and um, and the rest of us women uh, forward <laughs> in a really impactful way. That's the, that's the future. So. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. After listening to Marissa today, share her insight about working with girls and seeing how girls are as much a part of our amazing future as boys are. I think about how far we have come in just a short amount of time. See, I will always be grateful to my independent and successful mother for paving the way for me, for showing me what was possible. I know that I stand on the shoulders of my mother and my grandmother. My mother worked very hard as a single mom and didn't have the opportunities that I have today as her daughter. I know that because of her vision for me that I am who I am today. And I know that if you have a daughter, you feel the same way my mom felt. We always want the most for our daughters. We want them to have equality in the workplace We want to be able to give them the best chance for setting them up for success early on. This is why I'm so excited for this book. What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women is a guidebook to help girls as they navigate school and eventually college and the workforce. The earlier that we can set them up for success, the better. Now, I'm going to have the link for this incredible book in today's podcast episode, which is going to be episode 216. 
And I want to just say thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the Essentially You podcast. I know today's episode and last week's episode, or a couple weeks ago, we had Majo Malfino talking about the five good girl myths. And although I do love to mostly focus on women's hormone health, it's so important that we also have these other conversations, conversations like we're hearing today, how we can set our girls up to feel confident, self-assured, so that they know how to navigate not only work life, but just real life. Now, in the next episode, in the Q&A Friday, I'm going to be talking about hormones once again. We're going to be talking about the five signs of progesterone deficiency and how to fix it. Progesterone deficiency is a whole bag of worms that I'm really excited to get into. It is a situation that happens for many of us. I know that I've had low progesterone many times in my life. And I know that many of us are having to navigate with low progesterone levels. So I'm going to talk about how we can boost them naturally and then how we can boost them in other ways and what we can really do to ensure that our hormones are balanced and we are feeling incredible. Well, until then, I hope that you're having an amazing summer. You're reading an incredible book and you are relaxing. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. 